Welcome to the Math Ed Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and today I have two guests with me. Suzanne Wilson is the Department Head and Endowed Professor in the NEAG School of Education at the University of Connecticut, and Mike Shaughnessy is an Emeritus Professor at Portland State University and happens to also be one of the past presidents of the National Council of Teachers Mathematics. Suzanne and Mike, thanks so much for being here with me. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. We are going to be talking about the National Assessment of Educational Progress, famously known as NAEP. And some people might often refer to this as the nation's report card, or it's the assessment program that goes into the nation's report card. And Suzanne and Mike are here to share some insight into some updates and some new visioning that's happening for NAEP. And some of this is very directly related to mathematics and some things that are are of interest to the mathematics education community. So we're going to be talking about that progress and what's happening with NAEP. But just in case everybody's not familiar, uh, Suzanne, I was wondering if you could start with uh, letting us know a little bit about the background of NAEP and what is this actual assessment animal that that, uh, reigns so large in the United States. So NAEP was started in the 1970s in an effort to collect data across the country, across the, the subject areas of mathematics and literacy and science, and then continued to expand across many different content areas, Um, not assessing everything that children might learn about those subject matters in school, but assessing things that were appropriate for large-scale assessment as a way of giving the country insight into what general patterns and trends there were in students' understanding of those content areas. So the assessment does not report on individual schools or on individual students, but rather looks at trends in data for the population of all fourth graders, all eighth graders, and then gradually added 12th graders. The um, assessment is guided by something called a framework, which is a vision of what content should be assessed and how. And those frameworks are regularly reviewed and updated. And so the work that Mike and I have been involved in is work on the update of NAEP that is for the 2025 administration of the assessment. And this is congressionally mandated, so it's actually something that comes from the government. And one thing that's yeah. really striking about NAEP is, if I'm not mistaken, it has an actual representative sample of the country, right? Which is hard to do yeah. in, in educational statistics, but is that actually how this take, takes place? Yes. Schools um, agree to be in NAEP and then classrooms are randomly sampled out of the schools uh, to be um, involved in, in NAEP that way. So, so there's random sample in some sense from states and then within states uh, from schools and then within schools, classrooms. And that's one of the ways that a representative sample is, is generated. Hmm. For what reasons should teachers, parents, or math education researchers, why should they care about NAEP? Why should they pay attention to what's going on with NAEP, for example? Well, for mathematics, um, it certainly will give a a picture at those three grade levels of where our kids are in the country, what they know and can do in in mathematics at various grade levels. And within certain content areas, historically within five content areas that NAEP focuses on. Uh, Those are number and operation, uh, geometry, and measurement are are collapsed together. Data statistics and probability and and algebra. It sort of gives us a picture over time. There's there are trend lines in NAEP where they've sort of watched how things have changed or gone 
starting, I believe the first trend was maybe 1973. Is that right, Suzanne? I think. Yeah. Yeah. So there are two parts of the assessment and one are a set of questions that never change so that um, you can get trend lines in terms of looking historically in the country at students' performance around certain topics. Then there's another assessment that is updated regularly given shifts in um, priorities, national priorities in terms of what we think children should know mathematically and new developments in the field given policy practice and research. That's what the framework and the updates focus on is making sure that the national assessment is informed by the research community and by the schools, by what's going on in states and state policies about math ed, as well as um, what's happening in the schools. Well, the grade four and grade eight uh, assessments are given uh, every two years, and, and grade 12 has been given uh, every four years. Grade 12 was started several administrations later, I believe. Suzanne mentioned that grade 12 was gradually added in. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned how the, the goal is not to compare schools or to do some sort of competitive thing within the United States. It's more holistically to get a sense of the United States and the learning that's happening. And so this would be more useful to think about large national trends, right? Like if uh, NCTM started pushing for a standards movement and, and putting forward a vision of mathematics instruction, and then after giving you know several years or decades for that to try to make its way in, then you might look at NAEP to see has that made any sort of impact on fourth grade or eighth grade? Can we detect it at all? Or for example, like the Common Core state standards, when a lot of states adopted these, that's sort of a large national level kind of change that was made on a curriculum basis and standards that you might then look to NAEP and say, like, okay, 10 years out, 15 years out of some sort of national movement, NAEP would be a place to look to look for a general trend at the national level. That's yep. right, Sam. Yep. Uh, I also am curious about what the math items look like uh, on NAEP. If somebody's not familiar with NAEP, what kind of things would they expect to see on NAEP exam? There are different types of items. There are, there are just um, selected response items, Sam. Uh, there are kind of quick answer kinds of things, and there are constructed response items where kids get to write down some of their thinking. And they have also, in the past, been extended constructed response items. And those would occur across all those content areas in, in the past. And when we get to talk about the new framework um, and some of the changes in a little bit here, uh, we can, we'll speak more to that. Mm-hmm. NCTM has, in the past, Sam, uh, conducted what they call second analysis of the mathematics, and, and they get uh, access to some, so, to a larger sample of the released items. Uh, and so there are some books that NCTM published. I think it was, there was a 1990, 1992, 1996, and I think there probably was one around 2005, too. And, and there are trends that are in there over time that folks can get into and, and get more details about. Mm -hmm. On on a very gross uh, sort of general level, they look at trends in terms of how mathematics achievement has improved or not between different the ages of nine and 13 and 17 and whether or not there have been shifts. Um, They also look at achievement gaps in terms of different subgroups of student populations. 
And we, I think we'll return to that idea in a second, but I want to put it in the context of this new framework. So uh, you're here to talk about the new visioning and the new work to set up for uh, future NAEP. So let us know, first of all, how did you come to be involved and what was the process that has been happening behind the scenes to put together a new framework for mathematics on NAEP? The National Governing Board invites competition for groups, research and development groups, to do the revisions and work on the revisions of the frameworks. And WestEd got the contract for working on the revisions of the mathematics and literacy frameworks. And so WestEd proposed, when they got that contract, a process for nominating people to be members of one committee that was called the Visioning Panel, And then a subcommittee of that became the development panel. And the National Governing Board was, by mandate, has to make sure that there's representation of a broad set of stakeholder groups on the visioning panel and on the um, development panel. And so they have categories like policymakers, district-level educators, school teachers, educational researchers, mathematicians, uh, leaders of organizations related to mathematics. And WestEd, in negotiation with the governing board, came up with a slate of candidate members for the visioning and development panels and went back and forth in terms of negotiating who should get invited to these panels so that it was a process of nomination and then review by various um, organizations and always with an eye toward representation of stakeholder groups. The visioning panel met in November and came up with a number of recommendations for things and new perspectives and new things that should be included in this 2025 update of the NAEP mathematics framework. And they did that based on, as Suzanne mentioned, a lot of new uh, ideas in, in curriculum updates in in technology and things that are available for assessment now that weren't available in 1995, almost 20 years ago, the last time that the framework underwent this big of a framework revision. Things that maybe research would suggest or changes in the way that mathematics is now taught or made accessible to kids in school that maybe were never included in uh, the NAEP framework before that maybe we should consider. So the visioning panel put forth a number of suggested guidelines for the development panel to write. And then the development panel met three more times in person in groups. Um, let's see, we were in December, January, and February face-to-face, but we have, at least many of us have been, continued to be involved in ongoing writings of the drafts and rewrites and small meetings uh, on webinars and things like that right up until today uh, this morning there was one before this <laughs> podcast i'm speaking with suzanne wilson and mike shaughnessy about the nape mathematics framework and particularly the update and so we're going to dig into those updates that are coming down and if people want to follow along you can actually find this online at napeframeworkupdate.org that's n-a-e-p frameworkupdate.org so, uh, Suzanne and Mike, of course, the next question then are, what are some of the major elements of the new vision or some of the things that are being proposed as substantial changes to the mathematics framework? There have been changes in, maybe Mike will speak to this, changes in the content, in the topics, 
the mathematics topics that are included in light of shifts in the last 20 years um, of emphasis and in the field more generally, the field sense about what mathematics matters and always with an eye toward what mathematics is appropriate to assess in a large scale assessment context. Noticeably missing from the former framework was any mention of mathematical practices and given recent developments in the field, um, emphasizing the need to think about the practices that students engage in. Um, one major change is the addition of practices to the framework. Another major concern for both the visioning panel and for the development panel was the appropriate interpretation of NAEP results and the fact that data need to be interpreted in uh, ways that are illuminated by contextual variables that matter. Central to our committees has been the issue of how opportunities to learn matter when you want to understand what kind of mathematics children can demonstrate that, they've, that they know and master. And so one theme of our discussions was very much thinking about a robust and well-informed division of the opportunities to learn that you would have to collect data about so that you could use those data to interpret the student results. So as a result, Sam, there's a very strong lens in the framework, right in the very beginning chapter on opportunity to learn and then more details about what that would look like in, in a later chapter and a brand new chapter that never was there before in the Nate Math Framework on Mathematical Practices. Hmm. So let me, let me first, I definitely want to dig into the practices because that's an area that I'm particularly interested in, but also on this idea about the opportunities. So to me, this sounds like it's definitely a response to a lot of attention that's gone to the achievement gap. That maybe when NAEP happens, you know, a lot of the focus and spotlight goes on achievement gap by gender, by racial group, by different socioeconomic groups. And so is, am I interpreting that correctly, that this is a response to possible misinterpretations of achievement gap or overemphasis on achievement gap or, or things of that nature, and that this is, NAEP framework is trying to yes. respond to that? Yes, the, the um, panels were very much influenced by writing that people have done about rethinking whether or not we should be talking about achievement gaps or rethinking the gaps as being opportunity gaps. Mm -hmm. Thinking about those opportunities ranging from things like the time uh, that students have to learn to the instructional resources that are available to them, whether those are instructional materials or teachers with um, highly qualified teachers as resources or the students who are in the class and what the students bring as an instructional resource to instructional strategies that are used. And there's been so much research done on illuminating how students who have access to different kinds of opportunities based on those different kinds of categories um, demonstrate really different mathematical achievements. And we were heavily influenced by, by that research. Mm -hmm. In the future, if we go to the future NAEP results, and there are results that are maybe broken down by uh, racial groups, by different geographic areas across the country, what would you say is a more productive way of interpreting those results if there maybe are differences? So those results, I believe there's a, um, almost everything that happens in terms of NAEP reporting is by mandate. And so I think there will be reporting 
by those categories. There's a set of categories that you can find on the NAEP website of what, they're, what they have to report subgroups by. And at the same time that NAEP publishes those subgroup, those data, they also publish information on contextual variables and demographic data. And that's information on opportunities to learn and the demographics of students and um, their backgrounds and experiences. And it's very important when people are reading the subgroup data to also read the contextual variables and demographic data. Reading the one without the other, reporting on the one without the other is where we start to get into trouble, where we presume that the achievement gap is due to differences in student characteristics rather than the range of things that might uh, shape student achievement. Sam, those contextual variables are, are part of NAEP. I mean, in addition to the mathematics that's administered, there's also surveys that are administered where information on those contextual variables, and especially this time around, it's proposed more on opportunity to learn, as Suzanne mentioned. Those surveys are given to students, teachers, and administrators. I want to follow up on the practices. So including the practices, to me, is something that makes me very excited and happy. Uh, but in, in what sort of way did you approach the practices? Are there some practices that, you know, is it a framing of the practices that we're going to be familiar with, or did you make some tweaks or talk to us a little bit about that? So I was uh, drafted and involved in writing and helping to write the practices chapter, so I'm sort of immersed in that part of, of, of the NAEP uh, framework update. We had a subgroup that worked on generating what we thought would be the most important practices to assess, Sam. Uh, there's so many mathematical practices. You think about the, the practices or the process standards that are in uh, Principles and Standards for School Mathematics of NCTM or the mathematical practices that are listed in uh, you know, the eight practices in the Common Core. We were somewhat, of course, influenced by those, but also quite a bit by research and, and documents, curriculum documents in particular, a couple of them that have come out uh, in recent years. Among those were, would be the GAZE document, Guidelines for Assessment and Instruction in Statistical Education, and also the GAME uh, document, that's Guidelines for uh, Assessment and Instruction in Mathematical Modeling. Uh, both of those addressed a number of practices. Uh, and so those together with research involving students' justification, uh, strategies, uh, research on mathematical representations, the research that's uh, been involved more on, on communication in, of mathematics. You know, in the last 15 years, there's been a big social aspect of mathematics that's come to the fore in both uh, research and, and instruction. So we were informed by all those things. We, we uh, settled on five mathematical practices that will be part of the assessment and the practices. And uh, th those are, at the moment, seems to be pretty solid with support from, from the entire group at this point, from the entire writing group. Representations, generalizing and abstracting, justifying and proving, mathematical modeling, and mathematical collaboration. And you say at the moment, because there is still opportunity for feedback. Uh, so I was wondering if actually, if people had thoughts on this or if they wanted to take a closer look, is there a way that they could do that? Sure. You, 
we've got the the link to uh, folks will be able to starting right now. I believe it's available for public comment starting this week and through June seventh. And Suzanne has mentioned there's already some public uh, sessions that are going to occur at the National Math Festival. Folks can get the link and download the document themselves and comment on it and then upload their comments. Um, we're hoping to get broad-based feedback from, from teachers, from parents, from administrators, from curriculum writers, from researchers, from, you know, from your community. Do you primarily want feedback about things that could improve, things that, that could be changed, or do you also want feedback of just affirmation of, I'm very glad that you're doing this, or I, I support this decision? Affirmations are going to make us feel good. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly hope to get some of those. Uh, actually, we were giving each other a few affirmations earlier today because of the things that have shown up in this most recent draft. The framework has been through, gosh, at least four or five different uh, versions in the one that's that it's in right now, it's it's in pretty good shape for public comment. I th- I think so. Suzanne, is there any kind of particular public comment that you're hoping to hear? I think it's very important that we get feedback if something doesn't make sense. Um, the stakeholder groups are broad for this kind of a framework, and we need to make sure that the language is accessible. There's a deep commitment in the governing board to have strong relationships with practitioners, teachers in classrooms, district personnel, state um, policymakers. And so anything that seems like it's not going to be helpful in terms of uh, NAEP being relevant and important to educators in this country, we need to hear about. And of course, we always like a pat on the back, but um, we, we need to know where things don't make sense and uh, where things seem the argument is not strong for why this is relevant and is going to help us understand um, what our students know about mathematics in this country. The uh, NAEP is not about giving advice about what to do about the results Mm -hmm. of this report card. It's a picture of what students know and can do about mathematics. And that's what we want to, we want to make sure that it's as good as it can be to meet that goal. I wanted to quickly too uh, just ask about the topic changes. If they're uh, at least at a top level view, if you could let us know about some of the topic changes or new inclusions or exclusions on just from the content side of things. There's a few things and I can't be real specific mm-hmm. at, the, at the moment without going into this giant table. <laughs> um, <laughs> There, there's a few things that were at grade four that really, uh, especially since the Common Core has come in, are no longer um, part of grade four that, you know, or kids don't get them until grades five or six. And so s- several objectives were removed, you know, because of that. Um, there's a, a little bit of a boost in terms of focus on this time around on data, probability and statistics, because it's growing so much uh, in the curriculum and also a corresponding slight de-emphasis on, on, on algebra. I think that takes place mostly at grade eight. There, the perspective, I think it's been there before, but there's certainly a heavier transformational view of geometry that shows up in these objectives in the geometry framework than perhaps in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And that may be uh, at least in part due to the perspective of the common core where transformational geometry is, um, is a highlight. Mm -hmm. Um, That also leads me to think that common core might've had some effects on the nation's kind of performance at grade four, grade eight, or, or even grade 12 that might not be picked up yet by NAEP if there wasn't a strong alignment between common core and NAEP. You know, the job here is not to align NAEP with any particular set of standards, Sam. Mm -hmm. That's that's certainly not the goal. It wasn't the goal back even when NCTM's uh, curriculum and evaluation standards came out or when the principles and standards for school mathematics came out. The documents were used, and they have been used this time as well as the CCSSO documents have to, to sort of inform in the developers, those of us in the developing panel, but we didn't use them as the gospel of this is what one needs to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to, to keep the, some of the things that have been there before still in to maintain uh, that trend picture of how we're doing over time in uh, what kids know and can do. So yeah. there, wasn't, there wasn't monstrous, huge changes in, right. in, in the content standard. There were tweaks here and there. Yeah, and I didn't mean to suggest that NAEP like, should be aligned with Common Core, but I was sort of almost just commenting on if people were trying to evaluate Common Core and then were using oh. NAEP as their like, results right. measure, right. Then I would say like, that maybe is not the best. I'm almost just saying if people thought NAEP was an indictment of Common Core or a support of not Common all. Core, it would not have been a good measure because there wasn't that strong of alignment in the past. No, not at all at all. I, I wouldn't say so. I'd be interested if Suzanne agrees with that. No, I think that's right. A good example would be um, the practices. We hope that when the 2025 NAEP is issued and used, that practices will be a central part of what's assessed. And if practices have not been historically taught to some students, we wouldn't expect to see very much happening in terms of practices in the first several administrations of the NAEP, but we would expect later on to see the effects of practices. So whenever you have standards movements or some kind of policy message or reform that is trying to influence what happens in schools, you might expect to see changes, you know, 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, but we want to frame this in a way that it's not dependent on what the, sta- the specific standards are or the specific policy message, but focus on these content areas and on the practices. Right. I've been speaking with Suzanne Wilson and Mike Shaughnessy about the new NAEP mathematics assessment framework. And again, the uh, URL is naepframeworkupdate.org. And you can take a look at the draft and the public is free to comment on the draft. So I definitely encourage listeners who have thoughts on this or who are curious about it to go to that uh, website and take a look and even leave some of your own thoughts. Suzanne and Mike, while I have you here, I do have one more question I want to ask because uh, Suzanne, I mentioned you're at the University of Connecticut and Mike of Portland State University, but I actually got to have courses with both of you at Michigan State University. Uh, Suzanne, you were at Michigan State for quite a long time, I believe, and I had some of my qualitative research experiences with you. And then Mike, of course, we got to dig into a lot of geometry topics and research on geometry learning uh, at Michigan State. That was part of my graduate student experience. I want to actually ask you just briefly what your graduate student experience was like and maybe uh, who you worked with for your dissertation research. Well, this is a fun question because Mike and I didn't know 
that we have the same answer to this question, right, Mike? <laughs> no, it, uh, we didn't. But actually, on, I didn't, I didn't on, know until today on, that you knew Sam, Suzanne. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you answer the question first, Mike? Uh, age before beauty. Huh? When I was a mathematics major as an undergraduate and then decided to um, do a master's in mathematics at Indiana University. And during the time that I was in Indiana University, I got more interested in teaching. Indiana University had some colloquia that were, at that time, focused around mathematics education. I got thinking, well, you know, maybe to try to find where to do a advanced study in mathematics education at that time was rather difficult. But when I was finishing up my master's, there was a new program in mathematics education in the math department at Michigan State University. And I applied for that and was accepted in. And so uh, that was the beginning, learning more about how kids think. That's really where I, where I started. So the folks that were there at that time were uh, John Wagner, uh, Lauren Woodby, and Bill Fitzgerald. And Bill Fitzgerald was uh, my major professor. And he, he really had a big influence on my own thinking. The other mm -hmm. person who was there at that time was Glenda Lappin. She was just starting out as a young assistant professor. And Betty Phillips, who happen to also be co-authors of the Connected Mathematics Project. So, And I can put in a quick plug, too. If listeners are interested in more of Mike's career, we had a good conversation of, of that back in 2015 uh, when you were on before. But I wanted to still get a little bit of a taste of it here, too, about your background. And sorry, Suzanne, uh, for you as well, your graduate okay. school experience. So I went to graduate school at Stanford, and during my first year in grad school, a new professor showed up at Stanford who had been at Michigan State for 17 years um, prior to going to Stanford, named Lee Shulman, and he became my advisor. And then because of Lee, I ended up um, going to Michigan State for my first job after Stanford, where I considered my first. Uh, five years at Michigan State, my second PhD, um, <laughs> where I learned a great deal from all the people that Mike just mentioned. Lee Shulman was the person from whom I got my thesis topic, by the way. <laughs> well, Lee, during an early part of his career at Michigan State, wrote an, uh, a chapter in a book on mathematics education and was very, was as interested in mathematics education as it turned out, he became in medical education and then later in teacher education. So it's not a surprise that he gave um, Mike a thesis topic. <laughs> well, Suzanne and Mike, thanks so much for being here. Also, thank you for the efforts that you've put in towards this. I know uh, it's important for the nation and other countries also look at NAEP for clues and, and tips on how to approach mathematics assessment and thinking about what students are learning and what's important there. So thank you so much for your service to the field. Thank you for thank having you, us Sam. on. Thank you, Sam. Yes, thank you.